A few years ago, uh, there was a post going around on social media that was pretty viral. Um, this mother in Michigan had gone to uh, the cake shop to get her little daughter, Mandy, a birthday cake made. And she went up to the counter of a very nice store and said, um, I want it to be pink letters. I want flowers. You know, I want it to look very fancy and nice for her. It's my special little girl's birthday. And the girl who took it said, okay, I'll do that. And she left behind the counter, and the mother said, I'll go, in, uh, and I'll go shopping for a while, and, 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 and uh, when I come back, it'll be ready. Well, she came back, and it wasn't ready. She thought that was strange, so she left again and uh, went shopping again. She came back. The cake still wasn't ready, and the girl was nowhere to be found. Well, an hour later, finally the cake appears, and this is what it looks like. Not quite what the mother had in mind. Um, not pink, not neat not, uh, you know, all put together looking for a little girl's birthday. And the woman felt the temptation to complain, but she felt she shouldn't do that for some reason. So she just said, well, thank you. And she took it away, and she went to go pay for it. And the ladies at the checkout said, oh, uh, I see so-and-so did your cake. And she said, yeah, you know. And they said, well, you, you, we want to thank you for not complaining because um, she has autism, and you just made her day by letting her make your cake for you um, and receiving it. You know, the, doing good deeds in, in secret doesn't get enough credit, does it? It doesn't get enough coverage in our world that in many ways everyday heroes do good deeds in secret every single day, but we never hear about it because they're done in secret. I have a friend many years ago who was a nurse in a NICU unit with the small, small babies, and some of them will fit in your hand. And she said, um, when they were in the incubators, I would always put my hand on the incubator and I'd pray over these children. And I would be amazed to see how more times than not, God would bring them to life and help them grow. And these small unnoticed acts of kindness, these small acts of doing good, when no one notices, no one would see it except God. Because, you know, when, when we do something in secret, it, it really shows the motives of the heart. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus would teach about that, where he would, he, would, he, would, he would encourage his followers, when you do good, don't be like the Pharisees that love to be seen, that love to parade around, and love everyone to know exactly what they did. He says, if you do good, don't let anyone know. If you go pray, go in, your, go in, your, go in the closet alone, and don't let anyone know. When you fast, don't let anyone see it. Wash your face. Let people know that you're not, they don't even think you're fasting. When you do good, because what Jesus is saying is, God knows the motives of your heart. If you do good in public, you'll get a reward immediately, but that's all the reward you might ever get. But if you do it for God, you'll be storing up treasure in heaven, and Jesus says God will actually reward us. Not that we deserve it, but he will. In Matthew 6, 1, Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men in order to be seen by them. Just do good for goodness' sake. God doesn't take away our voice and our agency in this life. We are always uh, have the ability to choose what we will do when no one's watching. It feels good to give in secret, right? It feels good to give until it feels good to give. To give and to love and to serve not for your own kingdom, but for God's kingdom that no one else sees except him. In many ways, the audience of one is all that matters. And he says, everyday heroes good do, do good deeds in secret. 
I was a camp director of a camp in Franklin, North Carolina, 20 years ago. I cannot believe that. 20 years ago. And part of that camp was we had to raise all the money to pay for the wheelchair ramps and the painting and all this we did for people's homes. We had to raise all this cash. So we'd go out and, and go to businesses and at, just ask for money and tell them what we were doing. Well, as we got to the end of that summer, we were $500 short of our goal. And me being sort of a perfectionist, I was really eating at me. I was like, we got to get 500 bucks. And I don't know how I'm going to do it. I've already, I've already gone to every oil change place and business in this town. They're probably tired of talking to me. So I don't know what I'm going to do. And we just prayed about it. And I went to go check our mail. One of the last days we were there, I went, to the, I went and got to the, to the P.O. box and I opened it up, and there was one letter in there with no return address. And I opened it up, and there's five $100 bills in that envelope. Someone felt the prompting of the Spirit and said, I'm going to do, good, uh, do a good deed in secret. No one's going to know. I did it in cash. There's no name attached to it. But when we do good deeds in secret, Jesus says, God will, God will reward you. In Luke 12 Jesus teaches also that there's an upside-down way to, to this idea. He's saying nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. Other places, Jesus says, every idle word we speak, we will be held accountable for. He says, therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered behind closed doors will be proclaimed from the housetops. God is a God of justice. He always brings things to right. We think we're getting away with it. God sees everything. He knows exactly what's happening. You can't, we can't fool him. And so when we do good deeds in secret, God knows. And in today in 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to see some everyday heroes. People that maybe you don't expect in the story. Almost all of them don't have names. We don't know what their names are. But in 2 Kings 5, the story of Naaman being healed of a skin disease. See when I'm reading this. If you can point out who some of these everyday heroes are. So Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. Aram is what we would call Syria now. So it was a, it was a neighbor to Israel, north of course. And this guy Naaman, he's a great man. He's in high favor with the master. Um, because by him the Lord had given him victory to Aram. The man, through a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. So Naaman's got a serious problem. Now the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, go then and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went taking with him 10 talents of silver. That's many tons, y'all. 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of garments. This is a lot of stuff to carry. He brought a letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see, he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. So the king of Israel thinks this, there's some sort of pol political ploy at work here. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, and he halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. 
Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go, wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call in the name of the Lord as God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. You didn't meet my expectations, Elisha. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet has commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Wow. So there's three points I'm going to make. The first is that everyday heroes um, point people to God, to point others to God. Obviously, in this story, you see this slave girl from Israel. We don't know her name. But the first thing that comes out of her mouth is, well, if you went to Elisha, he would take care of your problem. So this is a bold action by this girl that could have been met with a reprimand. It could have been met with her being killed for her to speak up and say such a thing to the general's wife. But she is one of these everyday heroes in this story. Just a simple word changed the trajectory of Naaman's life. Just a simple, um, and it took boldness on her part to do that, just to speak up for God. You know, people that speak up for God, I've noticed that they tend to have a certain aroma about them. (laughs) <laughs> they, they tend to have a certain, not, not physical aroma, but they tend to have a, just a, an aura they care, carry with them. There's a, there's a boldness to them. Like, I, one time I served on a district committee of ordained ministry, um, which is a group of people that you, you, you interview local pastors and people up for ordination and, and see, you know, are these people, are, do we think that God's calling them and all this sort of thing? And of all the people that would come in, I, I know they all believed in Jesus, but there were a few people that came in, I could tell that they had spent time with Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I could tell. I could just feel it in my spirit. Like, the aroma of their life was that winsome, uh, you know, effusive, you could just feel, you could feel it in, in who they were. They spent time with him, that they were bold for him, that they spoke up for him. Because, like, I remember when I was a youth minister and I took some ju- a, ju- a group of junior high kids up to the mountains to uh, Ridgecrest. And um, if you've never been around the aroma of middle school kids, let me explain it to you. <laughs> They're all staying in hotel rooms. They all have like, you know, two queen beds in every room. And I go up to some middle school boys' room who are sleeping in and, and they're not coming to breakfast on time. So I'll come beat on the door. And they come, they open the door and they're all sleepy. And this, this smell hits me. It's like Axe body spray in a thousand armpits mixed in one. Just, oh, and my eyes watered. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, guys, take a shower and come to breakfast. Just pungent. Well, the aroma of this girl's life, that we don't know her name, is her faith, right? The first thing she thinks of is Elisha. The first thing she thinks of is God will take care of that. You don't need all your sorcerers and pagan gods that you're you're worshiping here in Aram. The aroma of her life, without hesitation, is speaking up for God. I mean, where would our world be without people that speak up for him in boldness, without fear, and without even considering their own safety, but they point people to God, and that's what this girl has done. Secondly, everyday heroes obey God. 
she, not only did this girl obey God by speaking up for him, but Elisha obeys God here as well. Elisha tells Naaman to do something that sounds ridiculous, right? It sounds absurd on its face. Get up and get into a river and dunk yourself seven times. Now, we know the number seven shows up a lot in the Bible. It's the number of completeness, three for, for things that are divine, four for the earth, right? We've got four seasons, et cetera, et cetera. Three plus four, it's the, it's the, the, the number of completeness. So do it seven times. Like seven times you need to march, march around the city of Jericho. Naaman, it's your time. Is what you need is seven times. Because it's not about the number of times that Naaman had to get in the water. But what Naaman needed was more, what he needed was more than skin deep work. What Naaman needed was to be humbled before God. God knew what Naaman needed more than Naaman thought he needed. Naaman just thought, I have this inconvenience of leprosy, but God knew that Naaman needed to be humbled. See, God was, was going to heal Naaman, but Naaman had to meet him halfway, didn't he? Naaman had to go get in the water. Naaman had to do something in order for God to, to come on his end of the agreement. His obedience mattered, and it, and it, and it requires obedience. Sometimes God has different people to do different things. When Jesus heals people in the New Testament, it's not always the same. When he heals a blind man, sometimes he spits in mud and rubs it on their eyes. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he puts his hands on their ears and heals the deaf. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he tells people, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Other times he doesn't. One time when the paralytic is lowered through the ceiling, when Jesus is in a house, he doesn't heal him at first. He says, your sins are forgiven. And then he heals him. Because he knew what the man needed was his sins to be forgiven more than his physical healing. Your physical body will die one day and be risen again, but having our sins atoned for is more important. See, God knows what we need more than we know what we need, and what Naaman needs is to be humbled. So Elisha asked Naaman to do something that sounds crazy. He says, go rich man with all your swagger and all your chariots and all your money and get naked and go get in the river. All these people who adore you and they, 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 they serve your every whim, I want you to strip down in front of all of them and get into the water. And don't just do it once, but do it seven times. He saw the idol of this guy's heart. And one of the idols he had was money and arrogance and pride. And he's saying to Naaman, if you let go of that stuff, you're going to find freedom on the other side of that water. Elisha's saying to Naaman, I'll give you, God will give you not just what you want, he'll give you what you need, right? I know what you need, God. I, or God sees your heart. You can't fool God with your, with your games and your justifications and all the stuff you puff yourself up with in your life. Take the pride down with you into that water, and he will wash it off. It's going to take a couple more dips. A tide pen is not going to get these stains out. No, he doesn't just do skin-deep work. He goes deeper than that. Your pride and your sin have made you unclean, Naaman. Your idolatry of lifting those things up is more important than the living God. You have, your, your loves are completely disordered. And maybe that's why deep down you're miserable. Like the book of James says, bow down and admit your dependence on the Lord, and he will lift you up and give you honor. 
not the other way around. See, this is what sin does. Sin says you can sit on the throne of your own life. You call all the shots. You're smarter than God. And that's what sin has done to Naaman. Naaman thinks, I'm on the throne of my life. I'm the big man on campus. I do whatever I want. I don't have to listen to anyone ever. That way leads to destruction. That way leads to death. Regardless of the cultural fallout, Elisha obeys God. And because Elisha obeyed God, Naaman gets healed. But if, he, if, if they had not spoken up, the servants, Naaman never, maybe never would have found it. And so they're bold. Everyday heroes are bold. They're bold in the face of Naaman's anger. Naaman says, hey, where's the theatrics? Where's the fire? Where's you calling out the power from heaven over my body? That's not what I expected you to do. See, but again, Naaman is proud. And pride blinds us to the way of faith. In the, in, in the Psalms, it says that the Lord is literally opposed to the proud. He's opposed to the proud because he can't work with that. Because you're not open. You're not listening. You're only listening to your own self. He's so proud in the worst way possible. Naaman says to the priest or to Elisha, I know better than you, right? It's like you going to the doctor, having an issue of going, no, 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 I know better than you. I'm out of here. And maybe you might know better than that. I don't know. It depends on the doctor, I guess. But get a second opinion. But this is what's happening is they're giving this Naaman the cure, and he's yelling at them, telling, no, I know better than God knows. Naaman is like this classic alpha male, right? He's like pragmatic to the core. He thinks he has it all figured out. And men, we like to do this, don't we? We like to fix problems, right? I remember when we were newlyweds, early, early newlyweds, and I learned a lesson real quick. When we were having a conversation one day, and she had a problem, and she was, you know, upset about it. And I, being a young guy, was like, hey, you know, just do this, this, and this, and it'll be dealt with. How do you think that went? She said, dang it, I don't want you to fix my problems. I just want you to listen to me. And I was like, oh, she's right. Of course she's right. Sometimes you just need to listen. Sometimes being pragmatic gets in the way, guys. Sometimes it puts up a roadblock and it becomes counterproductive. And so these under, unnamed, humble servants, these everyday heroes, again, some more speak up at the end of that passage, where they say other of his name and servants say, name, what's the big deal? He's just asking you to go get in the water. Just do it. Stop crying, you big baby. What do you have to lose? And it's like that with the gospel. It's like Jesus is like, I've given everything for you. I went to the cross. I, I opened up the door. I have done all of it for you. And yet you, you think you know better. And God is saying, I've, it's the simplest act. A child can understand what Christ has done. And yet I have met so many adults that still fight it. And it breaks God's heart. It breaks my heart. Because God wants everybody to live. He wants all people to know new life in him. What do you have to lose like Naaman? Nothing. It's all upside with the gospel. It's all gain with him. Because here's what's on the other side of your pride like Naaman. If you ditch the pride, 
Here's what's on the other side, a word we might not like at first. It's a word called repentance, which literally means just to turn around. It doesn't mean to flagellate yourself about your past or to beat yourself up or think you're a failure. No, that's not what we're talking about with repentance. Repentance just means to change your mind, to do a 180, to turn around, to walk away, and step into the newness of life. That's what repentance is. That's on the other side of pride. It is like a key unlocking a door to freedom. Naaman, even though he was bucking pretty hard, he figured that out. That the other side of pride is repentance. And what goes in tandem with repentance is surrender. When we come to the Lord's table, too, we come to a place of surrender. A place where I love the symbolism of walking up here and we come with an open hand. Because we receive from him, right? And when we surrender and we let go of our rights, the Lord is present. He's always present, but he's present in those moments. There's a proverb that says, a contrite heart I will not deny. A humble spirit I will not cast out of my presence. And when we come with open hands and open hearts before his presence, the Lord says, I'm here. That's what I was waiting for. I've been scanning the horizon and waiting for you to come. And on the night that he gave himself up for us, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body that's now broken for you. As often as you take this meal, do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink it, do this in, with, do this in remembrance of me. A new covenant with God and people that God will never break. And that he always stands ready to receive us because of this. Through these simple elements, Jesus says, my real presence is with you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, be poured out in these gifts of bread and wine. And let them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be the body and blood of Christ as well. Poured out for the world. As you have served others, Jesus, let us serve the world around us. Thank you for the humility and the power of who you are. Thank you that you meet with us in our surrender. You meet with us in our brokenness. You meet with us in the ways we know we fall short. And that you're present with us here and now in special holy moments like these. We worship you, Jesus. Amen. If those who are serving will come forward, please.